0: Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection, and sometimes disconnect, between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. There we go. We're recording. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Jeremy. I'm I'm feeling enthusiastic because it's been like two weeks since we've talked and lots has happened. At least on my end, lots has happened.
1: There you go. There we go. There free, we go. Ad, free advertising for free advertising uh, for, for Amazon you. because Amazon is
0: short of cash. Certainly, they yeah. are. There you go, Jeff. <laughs> I'm sure he'll appreciate that. Actually, uh, well, no, I won't. I won't. I won't get into that. Um, yeah. How you been? It has been like two weeks or so. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, good. Any gaming, anything like that? Any progress with your 5e uh, stuff?
1: Definitely. Oh, I've switched the thing because I wanted to switch where I was. Oh, I have to switch about. That's the trouble Every time I put text on it. Let's go and say I've played two sessions of which um, matter. Um Yeah, I think we've done two sessions of D&D. Mm-hmm. And the, the first, the second time I actually had a conversation about uh, how long are we carrying this on for kind of thing um yeah it's been it's been all right i did a, i did another session of mine where i kind of started setting up sort of the next phase of my game going from more just a straight up dungeon crawl to uh like sort of more big things happening And I literally did the whole episode like they just started in media res without like a bad guy that they've uh sort of on and off come across like being killed by another bigger bad guy that then is going to be the new big bad for them and then uh have them having to do i can't remember what happened there actually giving them some equipment and getting them to do a the sort of the next phase of stuff and yeah it wasn't so much a dungeon call plus i had to wing it because i had like no time to prep um and then yeah then brian ran another session we had a conversation kind of like well brian re- realistically how much longer is yours going to run for and he's like well i've probably got enough stuff for you know like the three or four sessions and i'm like well i could do that mine realistically yeah we're going to get to the summer and then the, the, we're going to have this break and then I know that people will be and on holiday and stuff, and then we'll, it'll just fall to pieces. So why don't we aim to, me and Brian finish by then. And Scott's is so far removed, and also we've done so few sessions, uh, so far removed from like a kind of a main plot line that we could go a off and just do that separately. Like every, anytime Scott's done an episode, he can be like, I, I've written an episode. We're like, oh, brilliant. Because the joke is at the moment, like, I think Brian's run seven or eight sessions, and I've run seven sessions, and Scott's run two. Uh, so. <laughs> We're kind of like, well, yeah. Actually, Scott's isn't really so. If he's got another adventure plan, we can run it. And his is kind of is a separate from our big thing. And at some point, way right in the future, we can be, do our whole big sort of Avengers style. Let's bring all the characters back into some big yeah. thing, fight in the Empire when we feel like it. But yeah, because I basically I said, well, I I really want to run or play Star Wars, and so my view would be to spend some time over the summer holidays. Planning, planning the 2d 20 yeah. version of that so that then after that i've got something to run
0: Excellent. Like we Excellent. how about you well um this last weekend i was home but the weekend before that i was at a i was at phoenix fan fusion which is the new name for phoenix comic-con because they got sued a couple of years ago for using comic-con anyway um mm. really great we had a terrific time we um we saw um the voice actors for ahsoka and obi-wan from the clone wars they were interesting we saw jeremy renner in his first public appearance after limping around probably he, he, he could tell he was not in like after sitting for a while he was not comfortable he was very interesting that really interesting saw alan richson of reach your fame and um everyone who i've said wow well, we saw him they're like is he as big as he looks bigger that's why i asked bigger <laughs> He looked, honestly, he's six foot four and he looks like someone took a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and stuffed them with balloons. I'm serious. Like he's just, he has like, this, like, it, he's just, he's just huge. Uh, he was interesting. Uh, we saw Anson Mount, Captain Pike from Strange New Worlds, also very interesting. And we got, we got to see William Shatner and I asked oh. Shatner a question and it was pretty cool. What did you ask him? I asked him of all the characters he's played I said looking back on your career and he's like it's been a long career I said yeah it's been decades like you can't ask Shatner questions without him interjecting every few words and asking you questions or making comments <laughs> um but I asked him of all his roles which was which was the one that that just took the, le- the least for him to step into maybe because it was just an easy role or it was most like him and he went on this uh not strange, but interesting quasi-answer about how he just invests himself completely in every single role he plays. And he's like, like right now, I'm talking to you. We're having this conversation. And it's funny because when he gets going, like, that's just Shatner. That's how he talks. Um, It was good.
1: Watching the first few series of Boston Legal, I just felt like his Denny Crane character was just what Shatner was like at that time. It kind of... Yeah. become a caricature of himself i do i tell you the guy is
0: 92 years old as he I, I thought he was still in his 80s 92 and wow. has so much energy still um anyway so it, it was interesting the 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 con itself was good um and uh, and the guests were good and then i was out of town for a week for work and then this last weekend came back and played our 5e game again and we finally made fifth level cool after Five months um and uh and oh it, it's been it's been good though it's like it, the way this story works there are all these multiple pieces and multiple foes and you have to you, it takes a while to establish where the problems are coming from and and how you're going to go about dealing with this bigger campaign level problem so we finally did that a few sessions ago, and now things are rolling, but now we've decided that probably in a session or two, I'm not exactly sure when, I'm not making the, I'm not trying to push this, but um, we're going to take a break from this because we've been playing it for so long, and we typically like to play other things periodically. So the the overwhelming desire at the table was to go back to Star Trek Adventures, which was the campaign that I was running last fall um, in the Strange New Worlds era, so... Back to the uh, USS Excalibur, we'll we'll go here in a couple of weeks, so that's
1: where I am. Yeah. Well, con I did go to it was Games Expo two mm-hmm. weekends ago, which I did go to. But we tend to play board games there. It's the kind of thing, you know. We have limited time there, so if I'm doing like a if I was, i to be honest, I wouldn't. I don't really enjoy playing as much as I enjoy GM. I'd never GM at something like that. I'd take a whole day, and playing means like I'm going to book on to doing something, and I'm not going to play all these games with me, Craney. You know, so it's something we go and do as a family. So I've not, yeah, I've not really done that. So I looked at it. I did get a chuckle every time I walked past the I don't know if you ever seen it advertised. There was this role-playing system called, I think it was called Everyday Heroes or something like that. And it was like their selling point was like, you know, it's a it's a modern day action game, but we're gonna give you books for like, you know, Escape from New York and Pacific yep. Rim and Cull Island. The crow. and They just had these giant big stacks of the core books. Now that sounds mean. But the reason I had that me a chuckle is that they said that it was based on 5E. And so because they said it's based on 5E straight away, I was like, uh, oh well, I'm not bothered then. It's like, it's, I,
0: I've so heard it's properties described are as, good. I've heard it described as an, an updated and you know, like the what D twenty modern was to the original D twenty, this is that to five E.
1: Yeah. I mean, like D twenty modern was like, yeah, it was all right. Hmm. But the thing with this is all their properties are interesting. But it's then fitted to a system which I'm like, you know, I haven't looked at, so I, you know, I could be completely wrong. But the minute someone says, "Well, the base is 5 I'm just like, "Well, is it a fantasy zero to hero game?" No. Well, then you're using the wrong system.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've stuff. seen it. It there, there's some buzz about it, but I think, I mean, the core book is a brick. It's a it murder is, weapon.
1: giant stacks of this. Wow, and it's like, 60... and I swear over two days it didn't seem to go.
0: Down. Yeah, I think it's like sixty dollars US, and that's not an inconsequential amount of loot. So yeah. anyway, we could use everyday heroes for what we're going to talk about, but we wouldn't dare do that because, well, there's already a D20 spy game. It's actually pretty decent, I think, overall. But we're going to do a D20 or 2D20 version of this before too, too long. Yes,
1: that was Um, our plan. So yeah, having done, we did an episode about what makes Bond Bond. And we did an episode about how to make bond in 2D20. Right, which and now we have. We decided now we were gonna do an episode on uh <laughs> plots, plots
0: and ideas. Espionage. Or so, I, we, I think that I think that the smart way to go about this is not just espionage plots, that is plots for espionage style stories. That like like you're playing an aspire espionage game, but also plots that involve espionage spy elements that maybe are in non you're not necessarily playing a spy or espionage game but you decide to have that kind of a story yes i got to thinking and i i'm interested to see what you think how's that
1: yeah i had some thoughts the other day now trying to remember did i I didn't write it down because one of those things i either thought about it when i was half asleep or in the car which are the two places then that i can't make any notes
0: here here's what i ran into in thinking about espionage plots thinking about you okay you're playing a spy genre game it, to me it it actually the 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 what seems less varied than the how yes and the why also seems not particularly varied because in especially if we're talking about bond in virtually every case there is what
1: yeah, I hundred percent think the why is super unimportant because for Bond, the why is because M told you to. Well, no, I'm
0: not. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about from from the, the the protagonist side. I'm sorry, I wasn't clear. I'm talking about from the antagonist side. Oh, so why well, is power world domination? I think that's a different
1: thing then because I think I was thinking mostly like from a player point of view, rather than thinking like what is the bad guy doing. I would have said that was a different plot thing. So like one whole plot thing would be the bad guy is doing something. Yeah. And then, you know, then then what you're doing, you're going to have to go and find some information. I think the one thing I kind of crossed my mind is like a good chunk of spy things, regardless of whatever where they are, is probably going to involve some amount of investigation, surveillance, and then probably some kind of breaking in somewhere, you know, like a heist. Right now. When I say heist, I don't mean that it's got to be that you are breaking in somewhere to steal something, but almost all, those are the two things that I kind of saw how most espionage things are going to have those two elements. At some point, you're going to be gathering information and at some point you're going to be doing something now you see it which probably means getting into a building yeah and then i guess another one would be a more actiony you know we're going to blow something up or we're going to kill a guy or fight a guy and i think those are kind of three set of things now that's one thing as i was thinking with this that actually that makes espionage games maybe a bit more interesting than a lot of others because a lot of you know did you go in a dungeon or there's a bad guy doing this and you can go and fight him or um you know there's a lot of politics going on but I kind of see like, actually a lot of espionage things have these separate stages. There is a an information gathering stage, yep. and then there is a we've got to get, you know, there's a stealthy stage, and then there's probably a an action combat thing. And those might be in different orders. We could, you know, bonds often started with the action, and then we had the surveillance stuff, and then he broke in, and then there was, you know, but I kind of felt like those are the three main chunks of how you yeah. can split an espionage.
0: You know, something it. that, that uh, the not the system so much, but the... Uh, Just the additional advice and and talk in the book in um, Night's Black Agents, I think does a good job of describing the spy thriller genre, which is somewhat of a subset of the espionage genre, but that you gather information to get into danger. And when you get in and and then out of danger you learn something else you should learn something else which then leads you to want to gather it more information which then gets you into danger which then gives you more information And it's it's that constant it's that cycle between those two things and i think that you're right that there's a good opportunity here for a player or players depending on what you know Kind of modality you're playing? Are you doing a one on one game or are you, do you have a team? Is it more like Mission Impossible for planning? Like the players around the table and the GM is back and watching a little bit and taking notes, but the players are, you know, you've got a map of the facility. You're using Google Earth or You've got like satellite or you know, imagery of real buildings and things like that. And so the players, the players, the 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 line between the player and the character starts to blur a little bit as the yeah. player's imagination takes over and they're they're planning this whole operation and the attack or the the inf- <coughs> infiltration or whatever. Um that I think that that's a there's a cool opportunity. I mean, in most games you can do that, but the but but a, a contemporary world espionage or spy game that's really optimized, um, for that kind of table experience, which could be fun. It could be a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Planning is something I don't really include in that one. Yeah. But I think that that, that makes sense with, you know, if you're going to go back and forth between we're gathering information, we are in danger, not just having action, like we're in danger. It has to be, that's gotta be that. And there's, there's going to be, I think immediately before the danger, there's a there's a planning phase and depending on the nature of the information gathering, like, are you skulking around? Are you somewhere you shouldn't be? Are you trying to, you know, are you you uh, in a cover identity? Like, is there a risk that's attendant to the information gathering itself that could then trigger action and, and danger? But what about that? I think that's a general, like, kind of cyclical sequence. What about plots? From most tropish to, I mean, maybe I think more the unique thing is the plot. The plot,
1: I don't think the plot is in, is as important as the sort of individual scenes. Now, the reason I say that, I'm not sure that the plot is as important as the kind of the what the, the diff, what's going to happen in the different scenes. And the reason I say that is because if you look at Bond films, each of the Bond films has a different plot, but in the end, it's there's a bad guy who's going to do a thing. Yeah. And then it's what's important is the where is Bond going to go to gather the first clue? And where is he going to go to gather the second clue? And if he gets this thing wrong and gets captured, where's that going to happen? Um, I mean, one way I like of thinking about sort of spy films is like a flow chart. So, you know, you 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 go to this, is the, you know, the, your boss tells you to go to such and such a place. Now, whether that's to you know infiltrate a, a thing or it's to talk to some people or it's to watch someone or it's to, you know you go to a casino and meet the bad guy there's a place you're going to go to and then you know from there you've got different things you might get a clue that sends you down this this part of the flow chart yeah. or you might not or you do get messed up and you end up in a combat and you get captured by the bad guy and those flowcharts will go on i think the actual plot of the thing i feel like that's you know that's not the most important thing. Like, did it, did it matter if we compare like Spy Love, in which we talk about a load of Moonraker, the plots of those are super interchangeable. Yeah. You know, but like you said, both of them are about power and well, more than that. Both of them are about changing, like, you know, the world dynamics. So there's only a handful of people are left. In one case, that we're all going to live in space. And in the other one, we're all going to live underwater. Right. Both of those are relevant. The important bits are, right, there's going to be, um, we're going to have a thing set in, in Egypt where the things you can do that and this bad guy is going to kill this guy and then you're going to do that and then there's going to be a scene with an underwater car. And I think so th- I kind of feel the separate bits are actually more important. I think than the that's other a plot. really but, good point. I mean, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, if you want to come up with overall plots, you know, it, I think you need to decide how silly you're going. Are we doing Bond silly? Bad guy's going to try and destroy the world or are we going to do more subtle things? Because more subtle things tend to involve it'd still be power so it, it might be you know politics we're going to kill the president of this country so we take over yeah um money i mean yeah. you go with a stuff, you know a good way to look at it is usually sort of your seven deadly sins and look at the ones that are relevant so you know power i don't think power is not a sin but you know what i mean like the power and the pride thing um but certainly you know greed a lot you know a lot of the time the reality why does someone do something bad well it's probably for it's probably greed it's, if someone wants material no. wealth whether that's They want all the oil in this country or they want to rob this bank or they want to do something. Greed is a a main thing and or revenge is another one.
0: I think you're on. I think you're on to something. Plot's important, but because I mean, really, the the variety of plots. In espionage, especially bond espionage is we'll just we won't say it too loudly, but it's pretty thin. It's a very it's not a deep bench. Uh, there's really not a lot to it. I mean, if we look
1: at the mission impossibles, almost all of them are at some point, there is a, there's a thing there's a MacGuffin and Ethan Hunt has to get that MacGuffin. And sometimes he has to take the MacGuffin from a to B and sometimes he has to match take, take two MacGuffins and put them together. Or sometimes he has to say, but almost always there is a MacGuffin and they need to find where the MacGuffin is and they have to stop the bad guy doing something with the MacGuffin. Yeah. And that's why it's called a MacGuffin because it's a, it's irrelevant. What what the MacGuffin yeah. is, doesn't it can matter. get filled in later. It doesn't matter. The important I thing think, is what happens.
0: I think I think you're right. It, and this, you made me think of this when you said Egypt. I think if you have if you decide okay, there's a there's a evil genius who has a megalomaniacal plan. Okay, problem solved. You don't have to have a reason. It's megalomaniacal. Yeah. Megalom- <laughs> it's that. It's that. You don't have to have a reason because the the villain is a megalomaniac. And so there you go. Then I think the way to go about planning this would be to pick locations. Yes. Places that are exotic. Pick places that have evocative imagery. The wonderful thing about any kind of contemporary-based game is you've got the internet, and you've got pictures, and you have maps, and you have yeah. street view and you have all those kinds of things to bring it alive. It's really easy to evoke feelings and sensory experiences in players when you're talking about things that you can show pictures of because they're real, or maybe even places that people have been. And yeah, so I mean I think it's more an issue of picking some interesting places, you know, and it could be something specific like. Egypt, you know, in the in the shadows of the Sphinx, or it could be <clears throat> something a little more general but identifiable, like rugged alpine mountains, you know, something like that. And then it's a question of okay, what could be what's present at each of those places that would allow the super spy to move along the chain to get to the bad guy before he takes over the world and makes everyone live in caves instead of under water or in space. I think you make a really good point now. And it's not a good example of the spy genre, but the last bit is um,
1: the new Fast and Furious film. You can tell that is exactly what they've done. They've gone, right, we need to start off with a big set piece in a city. Which city? And someone's gone, Rome. Rome, yeah, right. Someone's going to try and blow up the Vatican. Done, because we know the Vatican's in Rome. Yeah. And then they've gone, right, well, we need a scene in 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 London because that we know this character's there. We need a scene in Brazil because this character's there, right. So those aren't important. Where are we going to finish? Uh, we haven't done Portugal. Portugal, right? Oh, actually, and let's, if we base it in Portugal, let's like make this other character, this bad guy, he can be Portuguese, because then that'll, it's yeah. literally someone's looking at a map going there. Yeah. And then, having, you know, having decided that, what's in Portugal? There's this big bridge. <gasps> yes, let's use the big, and there's a dam. Right. There we go. There's two of our set pieces, a bridge and a dam. So, yeah, it, you know, again, Google is your friend. If you can look up and look at a big map, or again, if you've been somewhere on holiday, and I remember doing that when I was a kid, I remember being to, uh, a place in France called Lords, which is a place oh, yeah. of religious significance, and being there and going, wow, the parts of this town would be a really cool place um, for a spy game. And while I was, I you know, I wrote up a, I wrote up a spy game. And I did like a whole car chase and a thing that was all set because of landscape that I'd seen having mm-hmm. been this was before the internet. But, but it, I you know, I, I wrote it all based on stuff that I had seen, and that was a that was a setting. That was a you know, a scene was a big car chase here and this big fight thing here. Um, because, you know, in a train and stuff, because it was places I'd seen when I've been on holiday. I mean, certainly yeah. if you're going to go, if you, if you want to, if you want to do good spy things, it helps if you've been on holiday or if not watch travel programs, you know, watch things set in other countries where you can go, Ooh, that's a really good place to set, you know, this scene. That's a of, really of good idea. Thing.
0: I mean, although the the the, the one challenge now with travel programs is that like 97% of the travel channel shows are about haunted things, (laughs) much like 97% of history channel shows are about like junk shops. (laughs) Uh, But maybe you could find some, but that's a really good idea. Or, I mean, look up, um, I know, uh, well, guilty pleasure. I know for a fact there are lots of travel videos, video channels on YouTube. Yeah, places you really show like, like all the neat places yeah. I've been and yeah. then they want you to go through their travel agency. that's a really great idea to get yeah. ideas for the backdrop because I mean really with spy stuff it's again it's you're, you're gathering information which then leads you into danger which then enables you to get more information so that you can move your way up the chain to get to the evil genius before he takes over the world, assassinates the president of wherever, uh, steals the thing, holds someone whatever. Does their thing, and and I think that what's more important in this situation is the exciting backdrop of where the action is going to take place. Where is the danger going to be experienced, yeah. and 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 where are I mean, where are the interesting places where you could gather information?
1: Yeah, I mean, we you know we see this in not just Mission I'm thinking right. like just some some big famous buildings where they decided to put it in. So I remember when they built some big building in in Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur, and then they had it in that. God, I think with Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones um, entrapment where, you know, mm. they were climbing outside a building. Right. And then again, they did it with the Burj Khalifa in Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise has gone, I want to climb that for my film. And they've gone, sure, Tom, you you climb the tallest building in the world, um, which, of course, he did because he is crazy. yeah, um, There's things like that. You know, it's, it's literally someone's gone, that's a really big, tall building. Let's set our film there. Right. Um, yeah, I wow. think lo- we mentioned it when we talked about Bond. We said location is really important. And I think for a spy game, location is. It doesn't have to be. But even if you look at something a bit more grounded, like Bourne, he's, they don't, with the exception of maybe parts of America, he, they, he's a lot. globe-trot and he's, a globe tri- a globe he's yeah. always in different cities. Yeah. Because you're showing off the thing and you get to do different stuff. Um, you know, so I think that is important. And there's a,
0: there's a difference. You just made me think of this. There's a difference between... The grittier spy stuff, like something like The Spy Game, with Robert Redford and um, uh, Brad Pitt. There's a d- big difference between that and then Born and then Bond. And we're focusing more on the Bond Mission Impossible style. Well,
1: even if you're doing something more gritty, you know, like you could do it historically based, and we, you can look at a map of Europe during the Cold War and, and look mm-hmm. at, you know, Berlin was a hotbed of spies, for sure. example. Um, and then other places like that, where it was, you know, either side of the border and things. So there's still, even if you're being more gritty, the location is super important. Um, you know, a, a sp- when we talk about spies, we're talking about spies going somewhere else to do something. Yeah. We're not usually talking about, you know, the spies sitting there. We're not, we're not necessarily talking about like, you know, the Jack Ryan being an analyst. Although if you watch, like I mentioned this to you earlier, never if you watch analyst. the Jack Ryan series, Jack Ryan does not sit in an office. I think partly in the first series he does. But pretty much after that, he has become a man of action.
0: Look, the Jack Ryan character as analyst is backstory. Yes, yeah. Is it? Here's here's what I'm thinking: that you could, if you had, if you were interested in this, and you had the right mix of players or player, depending on, you could run and play. I think a very satisfying, very gritty, intrigue-heavy, um, plot and character-focused spy story that would be more like a uh like a spy game sort of thing where the, the the locations are are important but they the their role as providing like flash and dazzle and interest is much is much lesser i think the allure of a spy story a spy thriller or a bond type thing is that escapism to exotic places. Again, you're at the Monte Carlo casino playing Baccarat with house money. You know, you're in a place you'll never go playing a game you'll never play spending money you will never have. Yes. Uh, and and that's, but that's part of the, the fun of it. And so you might as well leverage that and get a little nutty with over the top stuff you why not climbing mean, who who the hell wants to i yeah our, our our spy story takes place where you have to climb the 57th tallest building in the world who cares <laughs> climb the big one you know what i mean have the um have the uh yeah yeah put it in those places so you might as well think from interesting flashy locations and then just figure out where in the sequence that falls in getting you to the 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 whack job who wants to take over the world? With all his uh attractive supermen and superwomen who wear sheer clothing or something like that. You know, they all have uniforms. You know what I'd always love to know? When you when you see things like um The Spy Who Loved Me or Um Moonraker, um You Only Live Twice, where do these evil geniuses, where do they contract to get their uniforms made? You know, because they always have uniforms, and there's color coding, and there's definitely style. Like they, or, they, they, they hired a stylist. Well, they back hired in the day, a it designer. Spectre,
1: isn't it? So maybe Spectre had a whole factory somewhere, probably in the Far East, churning out these. Outfits. But
0: but does so? Does Spectre employ uh yeah,
1: clothing tellers.
0: designers, like fashion yeah. designers? Yeah, that's probably a prestigious job. How do you get hired for that? Like, what if you screw up? What if they don't like the hem? Do you I get fed to the you. shark?
1: Just in case anyone else, like when Jeremy said it, was interested, the 57th tallest building in the world is the Dalian International Trade Center in China. No one's going to want to climb that. Unless... I was, I, well, I don't have Wait, heard of What's it, it so near? You said it what, that I wanted to know. What city is it in? It's a, a Dalian, which is a place in China, apparently. It's fair, around that number, virtually all of these tallest buildings are in China. Okay. The Empire State Building is only the 51st now. All right, there you go. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think we kind of said, so that's kind of like yeah, so our location thing. We said plot isn't as important. You know, plot's useful because you don't want a person that's gonna create an underwater city and it's all based in in a desert. Although we say that, and then we've already pointed out that the one the Bond film where they want to create an underwater city, the first scene was in Egypt. Yes. So nothing's nothing's a barrier to that. Uh uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, yeah, so let's let's have a look at like we said the two other things we want we want scenes where the players are doing something where they're not in danger, but they could end up in danger. And yeah. then we're going to have, we want scenes where they are in danger already. So what kind of different ways could a player be gathering information or players could be gathering information, but they're not necessarily in danger yet, unless they mess up the roles, how different, what different ways can we suggest to our, our list to that? Cause I've got I mean, a bunch of ideas.
0: With I think that I'll dispense with it. the, the most I'll dispense with one right away. And that's electronically. You know, if you were playing James Bond 30 years ago, or I was playing Top Secret 35 years ago, the whole idea of hacking beyond really basic things didn't exist. Yeah. The idea of of using uh, digital intrusion, which is uh, an ability in Night's Black Agents, actually, to gather information remotely, that just wasn't there. Yeah. Um, so you've got that but I think the real action, the route, the action, but the interest comes in putting your character in a place, not just having someone fart around. Yeah. a keyboard. I that's kind of something, you know, your, your Jack Ryan
1: analyst before he becomes Mr. Can do everything yeah. brings you the dossier that says we've, 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 we've followed the guy's accounts. We've traced his airline, blah, blah, right. blah. Here's a bunch of information. You don't want the players doing that. I know like in a shadow run type thing, hacking a thing is different, but that's usually hacking a door. Yeah. You know, it's, it's getting around the security. It's when you're doing the intrusion. It's not uh, just like we're going to do everything online because yes, I, we do that. In real, I think you just
0: made a really good point because you know we we're talking about this idea of a of a two D twenty one to one for bond style stuff, where you would employ assets for either assistance or information, and that is a perfect way to do it. You employ one of your assets to give you the dossier, and that could be literal or figurative but yeah doing doing that kind of hacking stuff as the character i think that i, I don't that's
1: not no, what bond I mean, like, does you know, le- leverage you have a hacker character but how often is the hacker character having to do other stuff because yeah. mostly it's like well if we get you to the vault now you need to do your hacking stuff but you still have to get to the vault that yeah. the getting to the vault is the interesting bit the put the putting the computer into a while that's not yeah um so, all right you've said the So then um,
0: places i i think that any um any social setting And I mean like social setting, like a social function where the character is there more than likely under an assumed identity. So there's a little bit of risk, you know, if the identity is blown, that could cause all kinds of problems. But the character is there one-to-one gathering information from people who are there secretly or is in the location because the evil genius's top henchman is having some kind of giant social function so he can flaunt his wealth and your character gets an invitation, shows up, and is going to use that as an opportunity to like break into the safe in the upstairs office. To yeah, gather. I think the
1: other thing could just be purely surveillance, that you are there yeah. just to watch. I mean, the surveillance in general could be one, you know, following someone. I mean, following things tend to not be exciting. I mean, the Assassin's Creed games occasionally throw in tailing missions, and they are the worst. There's a guy, right? You've got to stay. You've You've got to be able to see them, but they can't see you. Uh, and you've got to stay hidden, but again, they can't see you, but you've got to stay within a certain distance. You're like, oh, this is tedious. Again, it looks quite good and tense in the movies. It wouldn't be so bad in a game, because in a in a game, you'd be like, you know, how are you doing it? How are you staying out of their thing? It becomes much easier in a team, right? Well, I'm gonna peel off and my teammates yeah. gonna follow them. So tailing someone or just following something like a stakeout. Um, but you know, like stakeout's a perfect example of one where you skip time, you don't make the player sit there and watch. Right. Right? What where are you watching? We're watching here. Okay. I'm going to make you make concentration rolls to see if you see the thing. Actually, that, after that, four hours, blah, blah, blah happens.
0: That fits well with scenes. Yeah. You establish a scene that you could even use something of an extended task mechanic to montage your way through something and then for, fast forward to the point where you need to slow down and be in like, real character time instead of narrative scene time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. If you were to sit there, that'd be, yeah. that would so be
1: horrific. Just, just watching someone is a, is a good thing. Yeah. And the surveillance one, um, like you said, actually having to talk to people, meeting people and getting information out of them, whether it is by, you know, all of those different skills that in some games, it makes a difference whether you have seduction or persuasion, yeah. deception, intimidation, and so on. Um. I always like the kind of the weird ones where, you know, it's Bond and the bad guy and they're both playing the same, you know, card game or dice game, or whatever else. And they're going to try and reveal things about each other from playing this game of chance. Um, and it's always, to be like, does the other guy know, you know, because Bond knows that that guy's probably a bad guy, but isn't sure yet. And But it's like, does the bad guy know it's Bond? Or does he just think he's sus? And you're never quite yeah. sure sometimes. Those scenes are always quite, and then you've got the whole of Casino Royale where, well, about hour of the film is them playing cards. Yeah, uh, a bit strange that. but they made it work. Uh, yeah, again, I don't think that that works for a short interaction. Um, it, it depends on the players. Like players are so used to being, I walk into about the bad guys there, kill him. Yeah, have, you've got to have the right players to go right. You walk into the casino, you sit down at the table with this guy who you're pretty sure is trying to destroy the world, right. and you're just going to talk to him. Yeah, and he, you know, you you can't ask anything obvious, and he's not going to reveal anything. So it's it's a game. It's like you know a cat and mouse game of just revealing little bits and pieces. That's the kind of thing where you know you can have the you you have the players say what they want to say, and then you can have them you know right. Well, now make a persuasion roll, and, and you will have the you know the, uh, the you'll have some things written written down of what kind of information. Oh, you've had this before about. I'm sure you've said this before about when you have these information things, and you have like so many bits of information which are not really important, and then you are like really in bits of important information, and then you have red herrings. Yeah. And you don't tell the players which they've got. So the players don't don't know, Um, which I think the Expanse role playing game did that quite well. You'd have like a bunch of different pieces of information you could give to the players and you could choose which ones you were going to give them based on how good the role was. And the players wouldn't know what the important. The trouble is then the players go off and do the wrong thing.
0: Um, Yeah, I think that the the, the key there and that was that was from um, that was from the chill third edition. RPG that that whenever someone rolls to gather information, either by surveying a scene, interviewing someone, or doing research, um, and that research could be online or it could be um, like in an archive, uh, you always end up with actionable information that will enable the player to move the plot forward no matter what you roll. The question is, does that come with additional information that will accelerate or um, add more context to what the character knows, or will it come with distractors and red herrings? But somewhere in there, the vital piece of information that you need to move the plot forward is there. So that I think that's that's something that we need to build in um, as we think about the mechanics of this, because I mean, imagine how sucky it would be if you decided to be like a really traditional like D20 approach, like, oh, yeah, you failed your gather information role and you're playing by yourself <laughs> and it's a one on one game. You're like, uh, I fail. Okay. Yeah, I think what you could I'll just do sit is here.
1: You, you would have the, well, we don't tend to go into mechanics in these ones, but we are now. You could have the gather information role as a difficulty zero. So just, just getting nothing would get you something. And then every extra momentum would get you more information.
0: Although it may be, I know in some of the 2D20 games, a, uh, a difficulty zero task still requires a role. I think yeah, there is are roll, some but do.
1: Technically, if you generate no successes, you've still met the difficulty. Right, you do.
0: So the minimum is you know that, but I mean, it, it puts you in a position where you could generate complications.
1: Yes, which is, I think, is ideally what you want. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, so you did mention it. I think one of the other big ways of gathering information is obviously, or an important part, which might not be dangerous yet, is the breaking into something. Now in some things that might be the huge chunk of like the whole thing you found all the information right you've now got to go into the the place and that's why it then becomes interesting because it could this could be a very small thing it could just be we've got to get into this our uh, building you know someone's apartment that's a nice straightforward thing it's one door lock kind of thing or it could be a giant big evil you know fortress with all kinds of stuff in it um but getting in somewhere and again, that's I think where it makes a difference. That is what players you've got. If your players are super sneaky and you've got a hacker that can break the door locks, and you've got a ninja guy that can climb on walls and, and blah blah blah, or you've got like really high tech stuff, and that's where you, you have to design those based on the players you've got. If it's one guy and he doesn't have any fancy tech, he's just he's going to beat his way through. Then you design it differently, right? There's lots of guards, and you're going to fight your way through the
0: guards. But if we're talking about, and again, we're not going to get deep into mechanics here. That's for a future episode. If your if your super spy if your Bond stand-in is um, is alone is operating alone, that's where you would employ those assets, either in the form of equipment, contacts, or direct assistance. You know, does the ninja team show up and help breach the the outer defenses Volcano of the bases. evil genius place? Do you have the little lockpick thingy that'll you know, do then open up the door. Do you have the right information so that you know the you can type in the combination yourself?
1: Yeah, or you've got like the patrol patterns of the guards because right, you've been right. watching kind of thing.
0: Right. I and think any of thing those things is- could come to you based on and the employment of one of these assets that we're talking yeah. about that are good for one scene. And, and and really, like again, in Bond movies, you go back and watch contacts, direct assistance. And gadgets tend in most cases to be operative for a scene. They come there for that right moment. They they deliver to Bond what he needs so that Bond can continue to kick ass and be cool. And so I think another
1: thing that's and again, we're kind of getting onto mechanics of so it, it's important to decide as a GM whether you want to do the whole like. If the really important bit is I'm going to have a whole map and I'm going to go room by room and there's going to be guards and patterns and they could have found that out, but they know something about this guard or they've poisoned this guard to get through here and they've bought this door lock and they've they've done all this work, all this preparation work to get here or in something like, um, oh, what's the the, the Forged in the Dark game? The main one. Blades in the Dark where you do all this stuff and then, you know, use flashbacks and things. all like leverage right. where you have flashbacks to say, mm. so you might want to have all of these separate things be really important and every one that you have to have planned for, you have to do a role for or you actually don't, you do a montage of it, you treat it like an extended task where yeah. actually none of that's important. There's a building and in this room in the building is the MacGuffin or the, the, or the clue, the thing with the piece of information we need. There's a computer in this room and that's important and nothing else is important. Right. Then, you know, it's worth thinking of that kind of thing because actually then it's, Right, we're going to do an extended task where you're going to do a mixture of um, hacking and uh, and stealth roles. Uh, and when you've got to five successes before you've had three failures, you get the MacGuffin, and you do it super quick because it's not important. Or yeah, you've mapped the whole thing out, and every single thing is important. You know, because th- those are two totally different ways of dealing with something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: good point. Right, what else have we got for gathering gathering the information or the the non-danger elements? I feel like those are the main... Games.
0: I, I think what's... You know, I, I'll, I'll throw something on this to the whole gathering information. I think in any good game, you're varying. You're not doing the same thing over and over again. You're not presenting the same kinds of situations over and over again. So I think that gathering information ought to be in... There, as a GM, you should think of it... Okay, gathering information in a low-risk um, setting... And if complications are rolled, or something along those lines, then the, the the consequence that comes will come farther in the future. Whereas you could be gathering information in a higher risk environment yeah. where like your cover is blown. So I just wanted to throw that there. I said, gather information, like depending on how you wanted to shape it, it could either be done in a low-risk, low-immediate-risk environment or a high-immediate-risk environment. No, I think that's a really
1: good point to me. Like, you know, even if you're talking to someone, talking talking to the bad guy in a public place like a casino is low risk because at the end of the day, the bad guy is not going to pull out a gun and blow you away. Yeah. Everyone's got to be making out that they're all very happy and we're all very friendly and civilized. You know, and when you leave the building, maybe that's going to cause a problem. But in the public place, you're you're fine. As opposed to you've gone to the bad guy's, you know, private house and he's got a private room and he's invited you in there but there's no one else in there it's just you him and his henchmen well now that's high risk because he can just kill you if he feels like it and the only thing stopping him killing you is maybe he thinks you've got some information that he doesn't know so yeah even even the same kind of scene in different locations like you said the high. i think the idea of whether a scene is high risk or low risk is super important you know are, are you on the verge of going immediately into danger or is it, like you said, you said it yourself, is it going to set it up for like a consequence later on in the game? So, yeah, I think that's a really good point.
0: Yeah. Uh, so what else? Well, should we go into the danger
1: stuff? Yeah. As yeah. in the the cool big action scenes. I mean, the first one I'll throw out there because it's, I think every, you know, Bond thing should have it is, is the car chase. It doesn't mean that your car has to have, you know, gadgets and rocket launches and everything else. in because the Jason Bourne films, you know, none of them, and, and Mission Impossibles none of those have crazy gadgets on the cars they just have they just have car chases and car yeah. chases are fun i think trying to do a car chase in a game is difficult and i think one of the places people get bogged down is they get bogged down into like you know if if a game's got car chase rules and then they've got to learn yeah. the car chase rules and yeah. I, probably the better way of dealing with it is it's either like some kind of extended task thing you know what it's always that thing what's the important thing right is the important thing stopping the bad guy or stopping this car or catching this car or escaping and then i think once you've decided what's important you can do as an extended task as opposed to right we need really complicated rules for cars positioned to other cars and you know who's in front And who i don't think that's irrelevant what 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 is the player trying to achieve what is the bad guy trying to achieve probably dealing with it as some kind of extended or um a post-task is the best way of dealing with something like that. But a car chase is a great... The
0: tough thing thing with a car chase is that regardless of why it's happening and what you hope to get out of it, are you trying to escape? Are you trying to catch someone? Are you trying to get somewhere before someone else or before something happens? Those could be general ideas as to why there's... There's a scene in which your character is driving and has their foot, you know, to the floor. There is... You don't want to lose the opportunity for the excitement and the fun of trying to evoke that feeling at the table. The trouble is, and you just hit it, is oftentimes I've seen car chase rules that just suck that right out the window because they turn it into a very tedious mechanical enterprise. I think that probably an opposed extended task um and if you've got little cars you've got a little bentley and a little something else and you put them out on the table and you just do this back and forth like yeah. as oh you're you're pulling ahead oh you're you're catching up just to give people a a bit yeah. of uh something to feel i think doing it more narratively with a with a little bit of mechanical underpinning would be a lot better than trying to model the thing which would be just like
1: yeah i think you got that. the right idea the, the other thing with the extended chart, you kind of hinted at this is that you can put like well one when when you've got th- when you've done three scenes or th- when you've done three roles or you've done three successes, this thing's gonna happen. Yeah. You know, the, the bus of, full of school children or the the party of nuns walks across the road in front of you. You want those things that you've pre-planned <laughs> into the scene that you've then got to, you know, the bad guy doesn't care. They're gonna kill the school children. Yeah, you're gonna have to push them out of the way, that kind of stuff. Because then all you need, yeah, is just opposed roles. Um yeah. and you have it set up. So you know, if the players fail, there's an opportunity to come back. And if the player succeed, they they succeed. That's fine, you know. But you do, you don't want just. That's why again, an extended thing or a couple of opposed roles is better because if the player messes up, that's not the end of it. right? they've got a yeah. second or a third chance, maybe.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But yeah, I, th- I I would never. I don't think I'd ever use any proper car chase rules because they'll just be terrible. Um. I mean, it's like we said about you know Star Trek that the Star Trek ship rules do a really good job of simulating Starfleet ship combat. Yeah. But it ain't quick. And maybe that's not you know it, what is the point of that that battle? Um, you know
0: it, it, I think car chases and car related sorts of things and maybe even fighters uh, like you know either space or or air aircraft, that's one of those places where I think video games beat yeah 100%. they beat the tabletop. they just do because of what they're able to to simulate. Yeah. um so aside from a car chase, what's another and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this on there as okay, ski. You've had plenty of times Bond is skiing and shooting at people. So, uh, well, and, then, we... and then a foot race, a foot, foot race, race yeah. through a crowded city with some, of course, nowadays in the last 20 years, there there must be parkour at some point <laughs> or another. You know? I was
1: just going to say that because that's the thing, isn't it? 20 years ago, a foot chase was, it was on the floor and you maybe ran into a doorway right. and came out. But no, now a foot chase is it's off the ceilings and off walls oh, yeah. and cross, jumping across huge distances because all action heroes are parkour experts. Like right,
0: and they all pump experts. their legs when they jump. Yeah. And, they, and um, you know what? Whenever they jump, they're always viewed from like over one of their shoulders, wee, over the building, always. That's another classic Tom Cruise
1: work because that's the one he did where he jumped from something to something in London. And that's the one where he broke his ankle on landing and carried on running. And they used the final take in the film. But then they had to stop production for sort of two months while he...
0: <laughs> that's who uh- the guy's insane yeah he is crazy yeah but uh but but the guys uh i'll I'll take that kind of crazy in terms of like desire to make films that he's committed to the kinds of films that he makes
1: absolutely well i wish there was more people who were like we need to try and do it real and physical first unless it's not possible and then yeah then i guess we have to use other methods
0: So, okay. So, so dispenses, we, we dispense with chases. Chases. Yeah. Uh, what uh, is another classic action scene? Oh
1: yeah. For, mostly for spy? It's, it's, Well, I mean, you got, so fighting, but we, we can split that down into gun fights or fist fights and they are two very different things so If we look mm-hmm. at, you know, like a, a lot of, you know, Jackie Chan stuff, Jackie Chan never really used a gun. No, it was, you know, Kung Fu It's always, yep. it's up close. Um, and there'll be people, I mean, that happens a lot in things like Bond films and other things where, you know, these are people that have trained marksmen. And for some reason, at a point in the film, the guns will be of no use. And then now we're down to using our hands. And you think, I, unless you're John Wick
0: and you just... Have you noticed, though, that the gunfights are typically, they involve groups? Yeah. Unless there's the a, unless it's attended to a chase, like the bad guy shoots once or twice and then takes off. Most of the time the your hand to hand stuff is between the hero and the villain or the villain's henchman and yeah. it's individual, whereas if there's lots of shooting, it involves groups.
1: I think the other thing is it's again, it's thinking about the scene. You know, we've seen yeah. multiple times where Bonds fought someone on a train. That's a very enclosed space. That is too yeah. close to use a gun. Again, unless you're John Wick, and then that doesn't matter anymore. Um, but, you know, super enclosed spaces where you can have a fist fight with someone in in your, you know, in a toilet or, you know, in your room in a train, someone really confined. Gunfights are going to tend to be bigger distances. And, well, this, again, another thing that players never use, cover. Now, in films, mm-hmm. mostly, unless you're in the Matrix and you can dodge bullets, but mostly in films, people will use cover and they will shoot people from behind yes. cover. Now. Unfortunately, most players don't know what cover is. Like right. even in D&D, right? I'm going to be the ranger. I'm going to get my bow. I'm going to stand in the open and I'm going to shoot into melee of other people who are in the open because no one is going to use any cover. It's the kind of thing where you, you would need to make it clear to the player, you know, by having an NPC that gets shot and dies instantly because they didn't take cover and have everyone take cover and the players go, cover right yeah cover's a thing in in the real world because yeah players don't you know it's just yeah i'm gonna shoot yeah. everyone pew, pew so um, star wars is the same i mean like they have it. yeah it's even they take in you know, return of the jedi they took cover they took cover behind like you know the entrance to a thing and uh, ha- leia hand get, who gets shot leia gets shot leia gets shot in the shoulder. um you know but even in star wars they take cover occasionally i was the stormtroopers don't they're just no idiots. Um, yeah, so I think again, I think it's down to the scene. If you want a gunfight, it needs to be, it needs to be a bigger area, and a fistfight can be something small. But again, it's a location. They should be somewhere interesting. Yep. yep. I mean, the best game I've seen for this is Feng Shui, where it had page after page of interesting locations and the stuff that was in the room. So you could, like, you know, if you're sh- doing a gunfight, stuff's getting smashed and shot up. If you're doing a fistfight, people are getting thrown through mirrors. And or you're having a your
0: fist fight like on top of a Zeppelin that's, you know, yeah. o- over the eye of a hurricane or something, you know, ridiculous like that. Yeah. yeah. The, the fist fight, when you really strip it down, the fist, the, the fights are, are kind of all the same. Yeah. It's where they take place that makes them interesting. And I think the same thing goes with the gunfight, although, again, you're right. You need a larger location is, you know, look at the difference. Uh, look at Moonraker where they have the the, the gunfight in space with the astronauts with the jetpacks. Okay. And in uh what is it? Um Thunderball, they have the gunfight underwater between teams of uh yes, divers did. with spear yeah. guns. Yes, and was, in uh You Only Live Twice examples. Can we have a good example? Those are great examples. These example. are bad examples. Those are wonderful examples. Okay. The ninja team device. attacking the the secret volcano base in um You Only Live Twice. Bigger area, but an interesting place. It can't just yes. be like, "Oh, we're gonna have a gunfight in the middle of a field." But didn't those ninjas have guns? I mean, they may have missed the point of being ninjas. Well, they had both. They 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 could do all kinds of things. They were super ninjas. <laughs> um, what else? I I think what's what's interesting here. I'm reflecting as we're we're talking on the in a lot of ways, the simplicity of a Bond style or Mission Impossible style game. Yes, a lot of these stories involve, they purport to involve a convoluted, complex plot that's put into action by the evil genius. But really, they're not. The goal and the rationale are both very simple. Um, The challenge to the GM comes in this, in not coming up with this convoluted plan, is in coming up with interesting places where information gathering and action will take place, and then determining, okay, what piece of information could be learned at each of these informations. I think yeah. the, the 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 convoluted plan actually comes second. I think that you as GM should sketch out the places and where the inform where, what would be more information gathering, what would be more action, which of the information gathering is high risk or low risk? And then after you've established that with like these great. Uh, locations, and then you decide. Okay, how can I make sense of a of an evil genius plot that a that a super spy yep. could determine by moving through these places? So I've got Monte Carlo. I've got the top of a zeppelin over a hurricane. Um, I have the bottom of a coal mine that's on fire. Um, I have the forty third tallest building in the world, the side of it, um, and then I have like I don't know an insurance convention at a uh, at the Denver Convention Center. You know, you got the you choose these things, these places and then decide, OK, that's an information place. That's an action place. That's a high risk information place. That's a low risk information place. What could you learn from there? I think actually the plan comes second after you determine all those those places, because if you don't have interesting places, you don't have a Mission Impossible or a Bond style or even a Bourne style game. You just have It's kind of blah. I
1: feel like we've just explained how to do espionage games better than most espionage games. I I think you might be right.
0: Let's wait for the the profits
1: to roll in then. It's the Shum Yip Upper Hills Tower One in Shenzhen.
0: Again, China.
1: Yes. Right on. Clearly, they build them big. Like it used to be you guys, but clearly you've been overtaken by the Chinese who are building them big. Don't know why.
0: So they can they can poke up through their uh their their filthy city air.
1: Okay, isn't that still New York at the moment?
0: Well, blame it on Canada.
1: That's a good point. It is I I blew my mind to realize that all those pictures of New York in that air was because of fires in Canada. I mean, yeah. I know it's not like crazy far, but it's still it's pretty far. You know, it's yeah. not like next door kind of thing.
0: Well, I was in northern Ohio last week, uh, and uh the moon the moon in the morning was a little, it was like rust colored. Wow. So we had, we had a little bit of it. And then last Thursday night I was in Cleveland and there was an air quality warning until about nine o'clock that night. And the, the, the sky was just a, it had a little bit of a, like a brownish red, like wash to it. Um, cause I mean, the sun stays up so late there, which is weird. Uh, so there was still light and it was like eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. It still kind of had that little bit of it, but yeah, oh, yeah. we beat big we've fires
1: storms at the moment because we're, we're in the eighties here, but again, we're in the 80s here with no air con. So <laughs> how nice, except for our cars. So you get out, you're in your car, you're like, oh, you just you got go sit here. in your car and you get out, <laughs> you get in the car and the car's more like the car's much hotter. I mean, I just work it out. Just drive around hot. with
0: your windows down for a while. Yes, yeah, so my car was in the 90s. Air
1: it's much hotter in the car. So when you turn the air con on, it's great. But when you get in and out of the car, it's Yeah, hot. yeah. Um, but yeah, we do a storm, which is not going to make any difference to the temperature. So yeah, it's the downside of living in a country where we don't have air con most of the time. Yeah. When it is hot, it's just unpleasant.
0: Well, I think we did it. I think we I think we hit, I think for, for the sake of giving people ideas for espionage stories, not only the specific ideas themselves, but where to focus your energies. And I think yeah. that this genre does... If you approach it from a, a standard, I have to develop the plot first. I think you're 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 going about it incorrectly, and you're probably going to waste a bunch of time and give yourself headaches. So think, think from these angles instead, and and see how it it works out for you. Yeah, I think having having done this, it makes me want to play an
1: espionage game, which I think is a good sign that we've covered some good stuff. Mm. I think the other thing I think is that although espionage can be a genre and be the game you're playing you can fit espionage into anything You're even sure in you even in D and D you can be asked to do everything we just said as your whole story. Yep. Um, and the same for, you know, any, any kind of game espionage is a, like a genre, which can be bolted onto another genre. I agree. Um, and actually that
0: it, it gives it. you as a GM, especially in a longer running campaign, an opportunity to inject something that will be familiar to the players in a, in a general story sense, but could be, novel for that setting. Yeah. And and could actually could breathe some life into something that's that's um that's longer term. Now you got me thinking for my my transition back to Star Trek Adventures, how I could maybe include some of the stuff into that, but who knows. Well section thirty one that I
1: know you love comes along and gives them a mission.
0: Yeah. They could. Maybe I'll do that. <laughs> no, you hate section thirty one. I'm not gonna even start on it. <laughs> All right, perfect. Excellent. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.